0: Welcome to Let Us Go Into the House of the Lord. Today we're going to be discussing the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, We're kicking off the church year. Uh, In 2019, the first Sunday of Advent falls on December 1st. Uh, Advent always uh, is the the initiating season for Christmas. It it leads up to Christmas. And the first Sunday of Advent always falls on the, the Sunday closest to November 30th. Uh, November 30th is St Andrew's Day that's something that uh that we can discuss a little bit that St Andrew I- introduces us to this season uh he's uh, one of uh, the the Lord's apostles uh and uh he introduced others to Jesus as well uh he introduced his brother uh to Jesus And so he introduces us to Jesus. It is kind of the way we can conceive of this, that he introduces us to looking for Jesus. And that really gets to what uh, the season of Advent is all about. As we begin this new uh, season of the church here, I'd like to look at some resources that uh, discuss this season. I'm looking in a book called uh, The Book of Family Prayer. Uh, It's uh, by um, a a Lutheran bishop from Norway uh, in the the 19th century. Uh, His name is uh, Niles Jakob Lachy. Uh, This book uh, is translated by Mark DeGarmo, uh, and you can uh, find copies of this book. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, at uh, Bethany Lutheran uh, College's spirit store, bookstore. Uh, There are copies of it there. But uh, it does a great job of uh, introducing uh, the the seasons of the church here. And it says, uh, unlike the secular calendar, which begins its year on January 1st, the Christian church begins the celebration of its liturgical year four Sundays before Christmas with the season of Advent. The word Advent comes from a Latin word and means coming. During Advent, we especially prepare our hearts for the coming of our Lord at Christmas. However, we reflect upon other comings of Jesus as well. In the first week of Advent, we hear of his coming as Messiah. Then during the second week, we focus on his second coming as Judge. And in the third week, we we hear of his present coming in word and sacrament. The fourth week of Advent finalizes our preparation for Christmas. Thus, Advent is a time of reflection and repentance, but also of hope. Uh, so the, those three uh, Advents of Christ are really central to this. And, and you hear, hear those uh, as, as they're brought out here. As we come to the first Sunday of Advent, uh, it says we're going to be looking at when Jesus comes as Messiah. And that's that's his coming at Christmas, when he came to accomplish his work on earth. That's the, the theme of this first Sunday of Advent. And, and the season of Advent is going to continue with that broad concept as well. You heard alluded in there as well that Advent is a season of reflection and repentance, and that's borne out by uh, the the color of the season. Uh, at our Savior's Lutheran Church, where I am, uh, and and many other churches, the the traditional color is purple. Now, there there are some churches that will have the color blue. That's that that's uh, that's from a um a Scandinavian tradition, a Swedish tradition, I believe, is is where that actually comes from for the blue. Um, we don't really have that tradition here where I am, so we we continue to use purple, which is the the more common. Uh, use uh, 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 of the color. Blue is, is sometimes used for other things. Not where I am either, but uh, that's something we can discuss later. But with, with purple, the color purple signifies a number of things. Purple is the color of royalty. Uh, purple I- is a deep uh, dark color as well. Uh, and it's close to black, and therefore it's, it's a symbol of that repentance. Uh, you can think in, re- in terms of repentance, think of how many times in scripture it's described people putting on sackcloth and ashes, the black ashes covering their heads. That's, that's the color of being sorry for your sins, uh, and turning to God, returning to Him. Um, and the reason Advent is a repentant season in that sense is when we see Christ finally come when we see his arrival uh and and his his entrance into his public ministry uh he comes with that message of repent uh john the baptist preached that same message as well that especially will come out in the third week uh of advent where we hear more about john the baptist but we uh we see that theme that the with jesus coming the kingdom of god is coming and therefore we are to Repent. Uh, To turn back to him is what repent means. To turn around and come back to God and come away from our sinful ways and instead return to God and see his approach. Uh, now, I'm going to be referring through this podcast uh, to the hymn book that my congregation uses. Uh, we use the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnery, which is published by the Evangelical Lutheran Synod uh, from Mankato, Minnesota. Um, and again, this is also something that you can find uh, at the Bethany Lutheran College bookstore. I'll also put a link uh, in, in, uh, on the website to the hymnry where you can find a lot of these pages digitally. Um, not, the whole thing isn't going to be digital. I would highly recommend getting a copy for yourself if you're interested in following along more Uh, in this it's got a lot of resources besides just having hymns and and the outline of the service in here Uh, and I'm going to refer to a number of those things as well that's also where you get some of these themes of the the colors Uh, it actually says here about purple the color of royalty through its depth of color are closely akin to black symbolic of penitence used in the seasons of preparation prior to high festivals and on days of penitential character I can talk about other uses of of purple as well. It's it's used uh, in in time of private confession. Uh, if if an individual were to come to to me as pastor, wishing to privately confess sins and receive absolution, I would have a a, a private service with that individual. I would wear purple. Uh, whatever color the season of the church year is, purple would be used by, by me for that that instance. But especially we're going to run into purple again when we come to Lent. Uh, Lent being the season of preparation for Easter. We'll talk more about that when we get to that season. But here in Advent, we're a par- we're preparing for Christmas. Uh, and so we, we start with this deep, dark purple, almost black, until we get to the bright white. Uh, the the clean color uh, of, of Christmas. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about Christmas when we come to that as well, but we're using purple now, and so you've gotten a hint already of, of what season is coming after Advent, and that's the Christmas season, but uh, it's also important to see what came before. We've just come off the end of the three Sundays of end time, uh, and in those three Sundays of end time, which are the, the final mini season of the Trinity season, we look at that, uh, that those last days. We do see a little bit of Jesus' advent uh, pronounced there, the, the advent of, of Christ in his second coming as judge, which is alluded to uh, in in uh, the Locke book, uh, Book of Family Prayer, uh, where we look at his second coming in the second week uh, of advent. Uh, we'll talk about more, more of that next week, but uh, it, it's interesting to note that the, this this idea of Christ's Advent is stretched. It's not just four weeks, it's seven weeks, uh, going back to the end of the last church year and now into the beginning of this new church year. We're looking for Christ's coming, and the fact that that's the bookend of the church year is really significant. It tells you what the Christian church is all about. We begin and end looking for the coming of the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus Christ. We're looking for his return. And our prayer is constantly... Come, Lord Jesus. We're looking for Him to come back and bring us to our that that final salvation. Uh, the 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 end times that we we just finished was all about yearning for that and looking for that and being prepared for that. And now in the Advent season, we're seeing how we are made prepared for that. We're talking about these three Advents, and and they're 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 given special emphasis on each of those three Sundays before the fourth Sunday of Advent. But. Uh, those three Advents are really all tied together, and we always have that Advent of how Christ still comes now in word and sacrament, and that's how he prepares us for his second coming and, and for our entrance into heaven, our birth. We're, we're looking in Advent towards the time when Christ will will be born, but that's reflected also in the time when we too will be born into the heavenly kingdom. All right. So, with those uh, just brief overarching views of the the season and, and the, this liturgical day, I want to dive in. When I start planning the service, the first thing to do always is to look at the readings. So, I'm going to start by looking at uh, the, as, as I alluded to before, uh, at our Savior's Lutheran Church this year for the 2019-2020 year, we're going to be using the uh, the Old Testament lectionary that is uh, compiled by um, Pastor Glenn Obenberger. I'll have a a link to that as well that you can get a a hold of. And so we'll be looking at those Old Testament readings, but uh, those are also going to be the the sermon texts. So I'm going to save those for last. So instead, I'm going to go to what would be the second reading of the day, and that's the epistle reading for Advent 1. uh, And that's from the epistle of Paul to the Romans, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Uh, And there he writes this, Oh, and I should note, too, that the translation that I'm primarily using here is the the Evangelical Heritage Version, uh, the EHV, uh, and you can find that on, uh, like, Bible Gateway and other other, uh, apps and and Bible apps and Bible websites and things like that. Uh, You can buy a copy of the EHV at uh, Northwestern Publishing House at Nph.net. Uh, that's the translation that I'm primarily using here. It's a, a fairly recent translation. I just really like the way it reads uh, and the way it uh, it translates faithfully from the original uh, Greek and Hebrew, um, which I will be looking at some of those original texts as I as I continue this podcast. But um, uh, we'll we'll come to that as 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 we get there. To so the epistle lesson, Romans thirteen eleven through fourteen. And do this since you understand the present time. It is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost over, and the day is drawing near, so let us put away the deeds of darkness and put on the weapons of light. Let us walk decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual sin and wild living, not in strife and jealousy, Instead, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not give any thought to satisfying the desires of your sinful flesh. And that's the reading from the epistle lesson. Uh, what, what occurs to me uh, immediately here is this idea of waking up. We're, we're coming to a new day. Uh, as the church is coming to a new year, uh, the epistle lesson uh, draws our attention to a new day, especially the last day. Uh, so we're drawn right to that point that we're looking at the end times, that that link between the end times uh, of the last church year and now the advent of the, this new church year uh, is tied directly in this epistle lesson. Wake up, wake up! And it's it's saying how uh, we, we have to put on the weapons of light. We need to be part of that light, part of the daytime. Walk decently as in the daytime. I've heard it uh, described before that in these uh, beginning seasons uh, of the church year, um, well, it, really, the whole church year altogether can be described as an entire day. Advent uh, is is essentially midnight. Um, or if you're if you're going by the the way uh, the the Old Testament people, the the Jews and the Israelites would uh, would enumerate days, it starts at sundown. So now sundown has occurred. That means it's a new day, uh, and so Advent comes here in this darkness of this new day uh, that uh, that has already begun, and so it's time to start getting ready for it, start waking up, uh, which is a, a, an interesting idea that, uh, you know, when it starts getting dark, then we think about going to sleep. But here we're, we're going to sleep with the preparation of uh, waking up for that day. Um, and so we're clothing ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, don't give any thought to satisfying the desires uh, of our sinful flesh. Interesting emphases that, that go on here. Yeah. All right. So that's the epistle lesson. I'm going to go on and look uh, look ahead at the, the gospel lesson for the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, and that gospel lesson is Matthew 21, 1 through 9. Uh, very interesting lesson here. Okay. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphagee on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples telling them, go to the village ahead of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied there along with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you are to say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king comes to you, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their outer clothing on them, and he sat on it. A very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees to spread them out on the road. The crowds who went in front of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Here ends the gospel. Uh, you, You might be familiar with this gospel lesson, not necessarily in the context of Advent, but it's it's the It's the telling of Palm Sunday, which is its own Sunday in the church here that comes right at the tail end of Lent uh we're we're jumping ahead at the beginning of advent we're looking at the end of Lent now already the the other purple season of the church here again another, another interesting through line that's brought out here and and on that that day, Palm Sunday, two more verses are added to the end of, of of this text It goes through verse eleven we'll talk about that more when we get to palm sunday but the 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 point to bring out here is that we're looking at the coming of Christ. He literally here comes into Jerusalem, and that draws home the the point of why he came at all. He came into the manger. He came into Mary's womb in order to come into Jerusalem, where he would die, where he would suffer on the cross and be betrayed and and institute the Holy Supper. I know I went in reverse order there, but uh, those are the things that he came to do. And then to go back into chronological order, he came to rise again uh, from the dead. So we're looking even beyond that to Easter. So with this season of Advent, this preparation, this looking ahead, we're not only looking ahead to the birth of Christ. We're looking ahead to the suffering of Christ when he came into Jerusalem. And then beyond that, we're looking to the resurrection of Christ. We're looking to the whole reason that we're Christians at all. I think it's in 1 Corinthians 15 that St. Paul talks about uh, that if if Christ wasn't raised, our faith is in vain. Uh, We believe in vain. There's no point. We're we're the uh, most pitied of of all people, uh, is how he describes Christians. There's nothing for us, if he didn't rise. Uh, and so that's, we're, we're already looking to that resurrection as Palm Sunday comes just one week before Easter. Uh, so we get that theme brought through here as well. And we see Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king comes to you humble and riding on a donkey and a colt, the vol- foal of a donkey. He's fulfilling the Old Testament as he comes. So the, the Old Testament was itself preparing people for Jesus' coming, preparing people for, for when he would uh, arrive. All right, so that's the gospel lesson. Before I go into the the Old Testament lesson, I want to um, just mention uh, that in the, the the lectionary, as it's laid out in uh, the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary, it's on pages two hundred two and two hundred three. As we're going through the historic lectionary, it always suggests a psalm for that lectionary, uh, and th- there's a, a section of the of the the liturgy that that involves the singing of a psalm, uh, and the, the hymnary does have many psalms that are pointed for for singing with uh, uh, pastor and congregation and choir, if, if that's involved as well. Um, not all of the suggested psalms are there, so I always like to check. Uh, so I'm going to look there now, In this, uh, for Advent 1, it suggests Psalm 25. So uh, I'm looking in the psalm section, and Psalm 25 is there. It's on page 177, and it goes over to page 178. Uh, it looks like there are 22 verses for that psalm now, for for my congregation, twenty two verses can be quite a lot. I mean, it's a lot for anybody. Um, so I might think about trimming that down. I'm just going to look over this briefly here. Okay, it does yes, there is a there's a fairly logical break right at the page turn, which is convenient at the bottom of page one seventy seven, ending with uh, verse nine. So um, what I think we'll do for the first Sunday in Advent um, for uh, uh, for our Saviors is we're going to sing Psalm twenty five verses one through nine. Uh, and that's a tone three, which is the the most somber and penitential tones. It's appropriate for Advent uh, that it's it's pointed for tone three. Um, so it essentially goes like this: To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And then each verse is going to follow that same pattern. It sounds very ponderous, very intense, um, and that idea too. It begins with that: I lift up my soul. We're we're repenting right there uh we're turning to God, we're lifting up our soul to him uh bringing it to uh to his intent um, so all right so that's that's the psalm for the year I've, I've selected that all right now to look on to uh the old testament lesson uh in in uh Glenn obenberger's, pastor obenberger's uh Old testament lectionary he suggests for advent one genesis three fourteen through four two and and I already know what it's it's getting at here with with that text. Um, but I'm going to, uh, we'll, we'll read it and we'll see why he selects that. Genesis three fourteen through 4, 2. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the livestock and more than every wild animal. You shall crawl on your belly and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will crush his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. The soil is cursed on account of you. You will eat from it with painful labor all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will spring up from the ground for you, but you will eat the crops of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the soil, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing of animal skins for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. The Lord God said, Look, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, so that he does not reach out his hand, and also take from the tree of life, and eat, and live forever, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the soil from which he had been taken. So he drove the man out, and in front of the Garden of Eden, he stationed cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. The man was intimate with Eve, his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have gotten a man with the Lord. She also gave birth to Cain's brother, Abel. Abel tended sheep, but Cain worked the ground. So there's Genesis 3.14 through four two, uh, the familiar end here to the fall into sin. Uh, it begins with the curses uh, that God pronounces. He pronounces a curse first on the serpent, then on the woman, then on Adam, uh, and then we get uh, the the first children born as after uh, Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden. There are a couple points here that I want to call attention to as I'm thinking about this as as the sermon text, which means that it's going to be the central text uh, that we're going to talk about on this this Sunday. Um, Uh, It it, it bears a a lot of uh, intense scrutiny here. First of all, this curse on the serpent. uh, It's it's a curse for the serpent, but it's also a promise and a blessing for Adam and Eve because this seed of the woman, this, this offspring that would be the woman's offspring, is going to crush their conqueror, crush the one who enslaved them, the one who tricked them, the one who took them away from God. Uh, that's that's the promise that that uh, they're going to be rescued. This is the the first promise of a savior, the first promise of the Messiah, the first promise of Christ. Uh, it's it's called in uh, theological circles the Proto Evangelion, which means the first gospel, the the first promise, the first good news. Is literally what gospel means. Uh, and so we hear that that good news that uh, that this seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Now there's interesting implications with that uh, idea of the seed of the woman. Notice it's not the seed of the man. Uh, this this has implications for uh, as we continue through the Old Testament. Why the uh, uh, the sign of circumcision was made? It, it literally did mark all the men as not being the the ones who were giving any merit to the one who would come, the seed who would come. It, it, it doesn't count as far as the man's seed. That doesn't matter as much as the woman's seed. So the men were marked in that way. Um, and it has implications too as to where that uh, that Christ child would come as it comes in Isaiah's prophecies much later uh, that the virgin would conceive and give birth. So literally he is not the seed of a man, but the seed of a woman. Uh, the Jesus was conceived uh, by the Holy Spirit, born of the Mer- Virgin Mary, as we confess in the Creed. Uh, that He was born of a virgin mother, had had no man's activity involved in His conception. It was God causing that conception miraculously in this woman, so pointing to Him being the perfect uh, fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. Again, with you know, we're, we're talking about Old Testament a lot for this whole year, but again, this emphasizes the the fulfillment of of Jesus, the Messiah, who came to uh the first time he came as the fulfillment of these old testament prophecies uh we have the 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 uh curses then on the woman and the man um her pain in childbearing was increased uh as, and uh the, her relationship with her husband was complicated that's maybe the simplest way i can put that um adam uh his uh work was cursed he would never be able to work <laughs> enough to get everything and he would ultimately die that curse also uh continued to his wife <clears throat> all human beings were cursed in the same way to die to return to that same dust so that the the fact that their curses come after that protoevangelion the the curse on the serpent which is the promise for the 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 human beings uh emphasizes again this theme of desiring the coming of that savior because he's going to come as the fulfillment of that, that first promise slash curse on the serpent, uh, which is going to overturn uh, the curses on the woman and the man. Uh, the, the pain in childbearing for the, for the woman uh, is, is going to be overturned by the birth of a child. Uh, there, there's an old tradition, uh, about the birth of Jesus that, uh, when he was born, he didn't, uh, he wasn't born in the normal way, but he, he passed miraculously out of Mary's womb. I'm not going to put any credence to, to that specifically because it's not ever mentioned in scripture at all. And there's uh compelling reason not to believe it, but that's, uh, more or less the, the theological reason you would think that is to see that he is the, the, the one who overturns this curse, just as he also overturns the curse on Adam. Uh, Paul brings this out in Romans 5, um, the, the curse came by Adam, so all die by Adam, but all live in Christ. He overturns that death, uh, and, uh, even shows that the, the work is for nothing. Uh, we don't need to, to work for our salvation because he's done all the work for us. He brings that to us. All right, so continuing on, uh, Eve gets her name here. She would be the mother of all the living, which, uh, itself has kind of a double meaning here. She's going to be the mother of all living human beings. Uh, every human being who was conceived from there on after would come from Eve's line, quite literally, but also then if her seed is the one who would crush the serpent, she is also uh, in a spiritual sense, the mother of all who are saved by her seed and the one who was life itself. She is the mother of the life Jesus. Um, so her name is very appropriate. Uh, God made clothing of animal skins for Adam and his wife that uh, really um, puts a, uh, a sacramental uh, seal On this whole account, Uh, they had made uh, clothes for themselves. You might remember Uh, after they sinned, they made um, uh, fig leaves to cover themselves. Uh, Really not adequate at all. It was uh, a a childlike uh, piece of clothing that they made. But God gives them um, full clothing that actually covers them. This is the first death that occurs in Scripture. An animal is killed by God. God kills this animal in order to cover Adam and his wife, which again has implications. Uh, that uh, the, the Lamb of God would be killed in order to cover uh, all who believe in him in his righteousness. Jesus would be killed to clothe us in his righteousness. Uh, God uh, then sends Adam and Eve out uh, of the garden because they know good and evil, and this knowing good and evil has been discussed in a lot of different ways. The, the, the yada is the, the Hebrew term for this know, uh, and it's, it's described as an experiential knowledge. They know it because they've lived it. Uh, they know good they always knew good but now they know evil as well they lived evil um, not that God is evil but he he knows it uh, as as being uh, his his opposite um, and so that Adam and Eve know this good and evil um, because of the the tree of knowledge of good and evil um, is is a, a danger to them if they uh, took from the tree of life and lived forever they would live forever as cursed people. Uh, so this uh, taking away that tree of life uh, until another tree of life would come, um, which is interesting, um, the the tree of, uh, of the cross on which Jesus died, that would give them uh, a true life that cured them of this curse as well. So he sent them out of the Garden of Eden, um, stationed a cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way, every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. That's the preaching of the law, once again. There's a lot of law preached in here with that glimmer of gospel, and that emphasizes this theme of repentance. The law uh, is the preaching of your sin, telling you what you have done wrong, um, how you are cursed in God's eyes. There's a lot of curse here. And so, knowing that curse, we want to be saved. We want to turn around. We want to repent. We want to get salvation. Uh, so, we beg God for mercy because of that curse. That that very visible cherubim and flaming sword is a reminder of the curse. It's, it's a, a, a vivid picture. Um, and so, therefore, life is cut off until God brings life again. Last couple verses are, are maybe some of my favorite ones here. Um, uh Eve conceives uh, a son after Adam and Eve uh, uh have sex after the man was intimate with Eve his wife is what it says uh her son her first son's name is Cain um I should look again at what Cain actually means um but uh this this phrase that she says I've gotten a man with the Lord okay yes there uh in in Hebrews 4 sorry, in Genesis four one, in the Hebrew, uh, the, the name is Kayin, uh, is how it's pronounced in, in Hebrew, uh, and, and it's because, uh, Eve said, and she said, Kaniti ish et Adonai, which means I have gotten a man, as it's translated here, with the Lord. Now that's, I'm going to object to that translation just a little bit, you know, I like the EHV in general, um, but every translation, by and large, does this same thing. I've gotten a man with the Lord. I've gotten a man from the Lord or by the Lord. Uh, however that's translated, it's not totally there in the the Hebrew. We kind of have to think of it that way in, in order for our, our English brains to understand it. But what it says here, kaniti, so I have gotten, ish, a man, et adonai. Adonai is Lord, the Lord but et is the, the preposition, if, if you want to call it that, where that's translated with or by or from. And it's not totally any of those things. It might sometimes be be worked that way, but et is actually a, a, a word that's not always translated uh, from Hebrew into English because we, we don't really have a word that, that matches it. Instead, it's it's a grammatical indicator uh, that marks the word that follows it as the direct object of the sentence, especially if it's, it's a concrete the instead of a. You know, if if it's a definite noun uh, for the direct object, so kaniti ish et aronai means I have gotten a man, the Lord. What what? Not I, I'm not making this up either. The the uh, theologians have have recognized this for for centuries, if not millennia, that uh, what Eve is thinking here is that I have given birth to God. I've given birth to the Lord. She's she's understanding that promise that that threat was that was pronounced upon the the serpent that uh, her seed to be someone who could conquer the one who had conquered them would have to have the power of God. She's she is uh, again so vividly seen how far she and her husband have fallen. The only human beings who have ever experienced perfection. Just think about that for a minute. They experienced perfection. They experienced fellowship with God, and now they have fallen so utterly far there you know we have questions about this we want to know what it means that now the serpent has to crawl on his belly Uh, i didn't really talk about that a whole lot but you know there are theories did the the serpent look more like a lizard or or like a dragon uh initially and then you know his wings and legs were taken away so he's crawling on the belly we don't know that but eve did (laughs) eve Eve knows exactly what that was like uh also it says increase in your pain in childbearing so was there pain uh that eve was to expect in childbearing we we don't know um we suspect not because perfection would in- imply no pain but um there there there's certainly debate to be had there um but Eve would know not she hadn't experienced childbirth yet but she would have been instructed in all of this she would have uh, understood how how much more intense uh, any little scrape would be uh, and the work that that Adam had to undergo yeah you know, they were gardeners before which certainly involves work but it was certainly a far more rewarding work uh, that uh, the the pleasure of of a hard day's work um was so much more intense for them certainly uh in cultivating this garden but now that uh, that garden is is not going to be uh as as compliant for them thorns and thistles springing up so just what it means that that work is so much more intense eve knows that more vividly so with her understanding of that change of that difference of course she knows um what it would take for the one who conquered them to be conquered, what it would take for the serpent to be defeated. She would absolutely recognize that she could not do it. Uh, and as further illustrations of that, there's the cherubim and the flaming sword that's guarding the way to the Tree of Life uh, and the fact that they don't have that garden anymore. The law is very vivid there, uh, very pronounced. So she understands what she's missing out on, what she has lost. And so she understands what, would, what it would take for that to be brought back. So believing God's promise, she believes that the one who would come would have to be God Himself. So she believes that the promise has come true right away. The first son she has, Cain. I've gotten a man, the Lord. Um, and then she gives birth to Cain's brother, Abel. Um, so uh, I, I, who knows how how long it took before a- Eve realized? Oh, I guess um, he wasn't the he wasn't the Messiah. Um, to to go back to a Monty Python. Uh, sketch. Anyway, um, but Abel came, and Abel tended sheep. Cain worked the ground, uh, which is just an interesting verse to, to end on here. Uh, this tending of sheep. This is the first time sheep are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, one might presume that the animal skins that clothed Adam and Eve were sheepskins. It's quite possible. Uh, and now here comes Abel tending those same sheep. Perhaps they, they realized, oh, this, this animal that sacrificed to make us our, our clothing, uh, we should we should... You know keep track of that, and so Abel became good at uh at doing that to to be able to make more clothes perhaps um of course, when we get to the the story of Cain and Abel later we'll we'll see uh how how those two interact, but then we see Cain as well uh embodying the curse uh working the ground he's he's working as as his father was cursed to work. Uh, as a as a farmer, um, not that that farmers live a cursed life. Uh, I, I don't want to belittle farmers. I come from a line of farmers, but um, the, the 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 fact that uh, that Cain works the ground uh, until he returns to the ground that's that's the curse. Uh, we'll see that dichotomy brought out even more later on. But uh, what's embodied between these two brothers then is the the sheep, which signifies the promise, uh, the the righteousness that clothes them, the mercy of God uh, in the sacrifice of another, and the curse. Uh, which is signified by the working of the ground. Uh, these two are combined. It's it's a lesson of law and gospel, very very plain, very clear. That's brought out uh, in this text. I'm going to have a lot of fun um, researching that text more uh, and uh, planning on my uh, my sermon on it. But uh, that's that's so far on the on the readings here um, with these these various themes. Now, as as I'm thinking through this, I've been thinking uh, through a number of hymns uh, along the way. One thing that I've done at our Savior's here is uh, ask. People to give me lists of their their favorite and familiar hymns, so I always want to refer to that, uh, and I'm I'm uh, cross referencing those lists to know what's what's familiar with people uh, as as we go here. Uh, and so with the this season of the church here, and with this specific Sunday, I'm going to start by looking in the hymnary at uh, the the section that's labeled by those. Those uh, by that 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 season, and in in the hymnery, it starts with hymn number eighty-seven, um, and goes up until hymn number ninety-five. It looks like yeah, eighty-seven through ninety-five are all ones that are labeled as appropriate for Advent one. Now that doesn't mean I can't pick something outside of that, or that something in this section couldn't be useful for for other days as well. But um, one thing that's uh, that's uh, immediately comes to mind is hymn number 90, which is a fantastic one. I know it's familiar to some. I've got that one listed uh, in, in in some of the familiar hymns. But uh, this hymn, hymn number 90, is Savior of the Nations Come, uh, written by Ambrose of Milan, uh, translated by by Luther into German, and then um, translated into English in the, the 1900s, or the 1800s, 19th century. That's what I mean. Um, but, I, Savior of the nations, come. You know, I talked about this whole idea that we're, we're yearning for that advent of, of Jesus here, you know, with this curse, uh, that's, that's consigned. We're, we're looking for the, the reversal of that curse. So come, Jesus, come. It's, a, it's a, an urgent need. So that seems very appropriate for the chief hymn of the day, which is the, the hymn that's going to be tied most closely to the sermon. So it's going to be, um, right there in the middle of the service. Now, this hymn does have seven verses, so I'm thinking I might, uh, Want to divide it in some way? Um, maybe we'll sing the first four verses right before the sermon, and then the last three verses uh, at the end of the service. So uh, that's something that I found is is sometimes beneficial as well, uh, especially as, well especially with. Um, some newer hymns sometimes that uh if we divide it up and, and sing it uh just, just one hymn over it, it makes the the job for the accompanist on playing the keyboard a little easier. They don't have to practice a new hymn as well as uh several other hymns. They can just, you know, get really good at the the one if we divide that one up. So that's that's what I'm thinking we'll do here. Um now the this uh December first is the first Sunday of the month. So the practice at Our Saviors is for the first Sunday of the month to do uh, the Divine Service right 1, the full thing uh, of of that service, which is uh, starting on page 41. It's uh, what's sometimes called the Bugenhagen Service. It's... uh a variation on the the service that was written by Johannes Bugenhagen, who was uh, Martin Luther's pastor, uh, for specifically the church in Norway. The Evangelical Lutheran Synod is a uh, Norwegian heritage church, by and large, that's where we trace our, our theological roots. Um, so this this one is a favorite and familiar rite for this congregation. In rite one, uh, f- there are essentially four slots for hymns, and we can sometimes have more for that. Uh, depending on how many we want to sing for uh, the distribution of the sacrament they, we, we sing a hymn uh, while uh, the, the the sacrament of the altar is being distributed so some people are up uh, eating and drinking and the rest are adding their their voices uh, to to that participation uh, with a hymn um, but uh, so in this this section I, I think I've already got two slots figured out uh hymn 90, uh, 1 through four will be the chief hymn. 5 through 7 will be the closing hymn, so I need an opening hymn. And something that occurs to me, since we're talking about a new church year, we're getting a fresh start on all of this, there is one hymn in the Advent 1 section, hymn number 93, which is literally called, The New Church Year Again Is Come. Now this is one that doesn't have uh, music connected to it, it's just got the words on the page, but it does suggest a tune, uh Zis Du. I'm going to look at what, uh, what hymn that is, see if it's uh, a familiar tune. Globetzis du. Hymn uh number one thirty six is looks like a Christmas hymn. Oh, interesting. Oh Jesus Christ, all praise to thee. Oh, that's a good one. The new church year again is come. Okay, I like that. That's that, that should be uh familiar enough. Oh, and it's interesting too. In the Christmas hymn it ends with Allelujah, and in the Advent hymn, this number ninety-three, have mercy, O Lord. So that Alleluia, which is praise the Lord, is is uh, quieted for have mercy, O Lord. That's something I'll talk about when I go through the the ordinary for this rite as well. That uh, Alleluia in the penitential seasons is uh, hushed. Uh, it's put quiet. Uh, it's it's a, a fuller quiet in Lent, uh, but it's definitely quieted down in Advent as well. Um, so, okay. Hymn number 93 to the tune of Hymn 136 will be, uh, the, the opening hymn. The new church here again is come. So we see that beginning. We get that, that started. Um, all right. So, uh, let's, uh, I think I've got the whole service really planned out here. Um, so we'll look at, uh, the divine service, right one, page 41. It starts with the opening prayer. O Lord, our Maker, Redeemer, and Comforter, we are assembled in your presence to hear your holy word. We pray you to open our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that through the preaching of your word we may be taught to repent of our sins, to believe on Jesus in life and death, and to grow day by day in grace and holiness. Hear us for Christ's sake. Um, and really emphasizing the, the idea of why we gather. And that's that's repeated every Sunday. So the entrance hymn is going to be uh, hymn number 93. It does say uh, in our, our right, or the introit. Uh, that's something that's relatively unfamiliar here. Um, but uh, I might institute it once in a while to sing the introit instead of the entrance hymn. Uh, introit is typically sung just by the pastor. Um, give people a chance to rest their voices a little bit. Uh, then confession of sin, um, we'll, we'll use option two for that. This is where part of the ordinary changes. In our right, there are two options for confession of sin. The second one is a little longer, um, especially it's uh, appropriate for um, when we celebrate communion. I'll talk more about that uh, on a later date. Uh, Then the Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, a little uh, song by the congregation that we sing asking for mercy after we've confessed our sins, and then the pastor pronounces absolution. And we use option two for the absolution. There are three options printed here. Uh, Option two is especially for uh, a pastor who has been ordained to proclaim, telling the people their sins are forgiven. Uh, now then, uh, here's a place where especially uh, the ordinary changes uh, based on the season. We would, in, in normal seasons, go on to the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Glory be to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward man. You might recognize that as the, the song the angels sang to the shepherds uh, after announcing the news of the Savior's birth. Well, it's really appropriate to think now in Advent, we we haven't quite celebrated that Savior's birth yet. We're, we're looking ahead to it, uh, but we're preparing for that. So we're going to wait to sing that hymn of the angels. We're going to really um, uh, hold ourselves back from singing that. So the Gloria is omitted in Advent. It's also omitted in Lent because it's, it's uh, akin to the Alleluia. Uh, it's a very, very joyful hymn, but we're in a penitential season now. So we're going to um, quiet that one. So we skip the Gloria, and go on to the Salutation, uh, where the pastor and congregation greet one another. Then the Collect, the pastor will sing the, the prayer of the day, the congregation will sing Amen. Um, then uh, for the the Bugenhagen service, um, whatever the sermon text is, is not read during the regular reading of the lessons. So where we would normally have the Old Testament lesson, now we're going to skip that and instead go straight to the Epistle lesson. Uh, we're going to read that Romans 13 passage. Uh, and uh, then after that, go to the psalm, which is Psalm 25, and I said verses 1 through 9, uh, according to Tone 3, and that's on page 177. Uh, after that psalm, then we go and, and read the gospel, Matthew 21. Uh, the gospel will be read, the people will stand, and then we'll sing, God be praised for his glad tidings, and then we confess the creed. So when we confess the creed, there are um, really two options for creeds here. There, there are three general creeds uh, of the Christian church, and those are the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. But uh, for this section of the service, it's usually limited to the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed uh, or a, a hymn version uh, of the creed that, that can be sung. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at a book. Uh, by Paul H.D. Lang, called Ceremony and Celebration, and he says this about the creed here. Uh, the Nicene Creed shall be chanted or said by the congregation on all feasts and festivals and whenever there is a communion. So, so far it seems that the Nicene Creed should be confessed here rather than the Apostles' Creed. At other times, the Apostles' Creed may be used in its stead, or a versified form of the creed may be sung as such of the hymns. On Trinity Sunday, the Athanasian Creed may be used after the gradual, but this rubric does not authorize omitting the Nicene Creed after the gospel. So um, that, yeah, it looks like here the, the appropriate creed to be confessed would be the Nicene Creed since we are celebrating Holy Communion uh, on this Sunday. So after the gospel, people remain standing and we confess the apostles or the, excuse me, we confess the Nicene Creed ending with uh, the song Amen. Then we go to the chief hymn, uh, hymn hymn number 90, verses 1 through 4, Savior of the Nations Come. The sermon is preached based on that, Genesis 3 through 4, with the select verses uh, text. After that uh, sermon text, and, and there's a, a specific form that that goes through with the Bugenhagen service. I'll talk about that on a later time. That's uh, we're we're getting along already here because I've talked about the season, but um, I'll talk about that on a on another another episode. But after the sermon, uh, the pastor stays in the in the con- in the pulpit uh, where he's preaching this sermon, and then we do the prayer of the church. Uh, the prayer of the church is, is a, a long prayer that makes sure to hit essentially all the the important themes. Uh, the important uh, aspects of uh, uh, the petitions that we have for God. We pray for, for everything uh, that, that we ought to pray for here, and it's, it's a responsive prayer. The pra- pastor prays part, the congregation prays part, uh, and we get uh, special intercessions in there as well, special petitions. Uh, that concludes with an amen, and then the pastor, still in the pulpit, announces the apostolic benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then we receive the offering. So we've received the word. We've all uh, heard the word and heard the gospel and that, that beautiful message of forgiveness in Christ. And we respond with joy by bringing our uh, our offerings of money and song uh, to God. Uh, and then um, after that offering, we go to the service of Holy Communion with the preface. And then the general pre- well, the proper preface uh, for the Advent season will be sung in there, followed by the Sanctus, which is uh, the song of the angels, uh, in God's presence that Isaiah had that vision of, and we're coming into God's presence where we g- are going to see the body and blood and, and eat and drink that body and blood of Jesus. And so we sing that holy, holy, holy uh, is the Lord of hosts. And then that uh, continues with that Hosanna in the highest, which we heard in the, the gospel text. Hosanna to the Son of David. That means save us now, save us, please. Uh, it's a plead for uh, pleading for salvation. We see Jesus coming to us. Here in the sacrament, talking about those three advents again. Uh, We're getting uh, one of those advents in the sacrament when he comes to us now. Uh, And then blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord continues that same song uh, uh, that was sung on Palm Sunday there, which all comes from uh, Psalm 118. That's what they were singing from. They were singing a psalm uh, as the people did. The psalms are are songs they are meant to be sung, and the people sang that when Jesus came in. Uh, The exhortation explaining uh, what the sacrament is and how uh, the people who receive it ought to properly examine themselves, that's something I'll talk about more uh, at a later date as well. Then we sing together the Lord's Prayer, which is the table prayer for the sacrament of the altar. Uh, The Words of Institution, which is the the gospel that is connected with the elements of bread and wine that really makes this the sacrament. Uh, The pastor sings this. This is um, one of the highest points of the service. We're getting close there. Uh, Then the Agnus Dei is a little song, The Lamb of God. Uh, we're acknowledging that Jesus is that Passover Lamb who was sacrificed, shed His blood for our salvation, and here we see that Lamb uh, and that blood coming to us in this sacrament. Then the distribution, and here is where we have uh, that uh, that high point. Um, we we actually receive uh, Jesus' body and blood, uh, and this is where people will sing. Uh, it suggests here in the hymnary, O Lord, we praise Thee, bless Thee, and adore Thee. Oh Lord, we praise thee, bless thee, and adore thee. Or Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior, or uh the, the key uh hymns here. Um for this one I am going mm, yeah, I'm we're we're gonna do three sixteen, which is uh combined with three seventeen uh in the hymnary. It's Jesus Christ our blessed savior. It's eight verses. Um we shouldn't uh get through all of that. Um but uh it points out uh, just in the first verse is really where i'm getting that uh that by his bitter grief and woe he saved us from the evil foe so, uh, pointing to that uh, the fulfillment of that gospel, uh, that that old testament lesson the sermon text uh he saved us from the evil foe he crushed the serpent's head he's the one who came uh to do that so we'll we'll pick that one for for our distribution here um so there i think i've certainly picked all the hymns now uh dismissal uh, Pastor announces uh, the what has occurred in the sacrament for each individual. Uh, then a hymn of thanks. We're going to skip the hymn of thanks. Um, we're we're not going to have that for for this uh, service. And I'm gonna I'm gonna cut that fairly regularly, uh, simply because uh, our Savior's has expressed uh, in many of the the members here that we're we're not a singing church, quote unquote. Um, people like to sing some of the favorite and familiar hymns, but uh, if the service is Getting long, they don't like to sing as much, and and I don't want begrudging singers. I want happy singers in the pews. So um, that I mean that's really the the point. So if if uh, rather than um, make the service go long and and make people get grumpy about it, I want to keep that uh, that message of of what we're what we're here for. So we go on to the collect of Thanksgiving. Uh, we pray. We give thanks to God for giving Him uh, the sacrament of the altar, and we ask Him to uh, strengthen us in faith and love. And then the benediction, the blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The congregation sings a triple amen as the, the triune God's name has been placed on them. Then the closing hymn is right there, uh, hymn 90, the, the last three verses, uh, five through seven. And then the closing prayer, O Lord, we render unto you our heartfelt thanks that you have taught us what you would have us believe and do. Help us, O God, by your Holy Spirit, for the sake of Jesus Christ, to keep your word in pure hearts, that we thereby may be strengthened in faith, perfected in holiness, and comforted in life and death. Amen. And that's the service. So I, I think um, the we've got kind of a tight theme here with uh, with these hymns and readings, uh, and I think that will be really edifying for people. I hope it is. Uh, it's, it's a really great message that we're starting this church year with, and I'm really excited about this Old Testament lectionary as well. I've never preached on it before. I'm familiar with all of the texts, of course. Uh, I've read the Bible a number of times, but um, it'll be good to really dig into these uh, these Old Testament texts and maybe hit some of the the Old Testament stories that people aren't really familiar with uh, or or haven't heard since Sunday school. It'll be a good reminder to to get the history of salvation from the very beginning. Um, so that's the the service for Advent one. Uh, feel free to give me your your feedback on that. Go to our website uh, tapestryradio slash lord's house. You can find some of the resources there that I've uh, discussed: the hymnary, the book of family prayer, um, the the lectionary, uh, things like that. Uh, otherwise, find me on Twitter at m g l i l i e n t h a l. And until next time, peace be with you.